137th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Welcome everybody to Pixelated Paranormal, your guides to the unusual and the strange. And we are back with episode number 35. We've done this thing 35 different times now. Yeah. Pretty impressive. How's everybody been? Well, uh, I don't know if you guys are... I don't know if anybody listening is a Game of Thrones fan, but I'm guessing they are. Um, I took a little spill while I was out uh, hiking last week, (laughs) and I think I contracted grayscale. So I'm a little worried about this. I'm a little worried about it. Um... But I think yeah. I'm okay now. The the scab I, fell off today. Just do what Tyrion did and drink a lot I of booze. Thought, I swear we'll there was okay. a freaking bone sticking out of that picture you sent. There's yeah. not a bone sticking out of that picture. I would be dead <laughs> there was if something it was. protruding. Like if it wasn't a bone, it was like a pebble or something gross. And yeah, some tree bark. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are sick. <laughs> well, I've been doing okay, so Good, I can't man. complain. Awesome. I'm coming off the tailwind of a wicked three day sinus infection that just had my ass. Leveled out, man. I was a whiny baby. Rock oh, God. Test to that. <laughs> we were playing Fortnite the other night, and he was being such a little whiny bitch. I mean, everything was I'm so hard. This yeah. game's pissing me off. I was like, man. I was like, we could just not do this tonight. We could do this another night. <laughs> you know Rob's not having fun when Rob begs me, no, can we please just not play? Can we please just come back to this another time? Maybe we should come back later and play. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, we did just... get, then he did get through it all finally. And then we mm-hmm. could join a fucking party, and then I was being a little bitch. <laughs> right. Oh, that was funny. Man, I don't get sick a lot. When I do, I become a man-child. Ask Shayla. She'll tell you. I just become this withered old bastard that can't freaking take anything. So, yeah, I'm coming off of it. I'm still a little cruddy, but we had to run that 5K inflatable run, and that thing was miserable Miserable because I had the freaking head cold, and it was 100 degrees outside. So, yeah. Yeah, it was gross. We actually walked it. It got so hot outside that Shayla actually started to get the cold chills towards the end. So, yeah, we finished up just in time. But speaking of my beloved, she surprised me with a brand new microphone. So if you guys notice some audio quality improvements on my behalf, I'm sporting a sweet, sweet new mic. I ordered a mic arm. My mic arm isn't here yet. <laughs> Which mic's arm? Well, it's no. not a whole arm. It's just baby hands. Is it full size? Is I'm going to need you to leave the room because it's going to look so big in this hand. <laughs> well, I think with that being said, we should go ahead and jump into the news. So first of all, guys, we have a weird story from Florida that you didn't know about. Weird Florida mystery, frozen pork falling from the sky. In Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Fort Lauderdale? Fort Lauderdale, Florida. <laughs> meat falls from the sky and lands on top of a man's roof. That's right. Adair said Thursday that a package hit his roof with a big bang. He thought it was thunder, but his wife Janine said, Go outside and take a look. And they found two bundles next to the house. His son Austin found three more on the roof. <laughs> it had to have fallen from the sky. They were too big to be thrown up on the roof. The home is near three airports, so Adair thinks they fell from a plane. The Federal Aviation Administration had no immediate comment on Thursday when it happened. The labeling on the package says it originally belonged to Jim Williams, who lived 170 miles away at Mayaka City, a rural town of about 6,300 residents. 
Williams, who owns a company that prepares fields for planting, said Thursday he bought some pigs from some children at a county fair in January. He kept much of the meat and then gave some away, but has no idea how any of it ended up. I thought the pigs were live when they fell from the sky. This was a totally different story in my mind. Yeah, no kidding. I like your story. (laughs) Wee! 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 That piggy went wee wee. (laughs) That piggy went wee 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 all the way home. Yeah, I thought it was the uh, sci-fi channel new movie Porknado. Mm. It says he kept much of the meat, but he did give some away and has no idea how it ended up 170 miles away on top of Adair's roof. He's not even a pilot, so, and he doesn't own a plane. <laughs> Quote, I would have thought 15 pounds of frozen meat falling from an airplane would have put a hole in the roof, Williams said. His friend Jimmy Fusel, who owns the butcher shop that processed the pigs for Williams, said the mystery which was featured on Jimmy Kimmel Live, certainly, quote, beats hearing about politics going on, and it's given everybody in Mayaka City a good laugh. As for the meat, Adair threw it away, though Williams has offered to throw the family a barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. What? Oh, just the fact that the guy offered to throw a barbecue because some of his meat landed on the guy's roof 200 miles away. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Give that guy a hand. Sci-Fi Channel presents Porknado. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) I love it too much. Oh, okay. So, and with that, we're going to finish up the news with a very heartfelt story about Zion. Can he fill his heart (laughs) with those hands? (laughs) Asshole. Oh, God. So, first of all, guys, I'm going to post this heartwarming video on our Facebook uh, page so you guys can watch it and think for yourself because we're three insensitive bastards so in 2015 zion harvey had become the youngest person to ever receive two successful bilateral hand transplants that's right guys eight-year-old zion had two hands basically surgically attached to his arms so in five years when he goes through puberty that's gonna be a really weird situation (laughs) you're killing me (laughs) You're killing me. Uh, So little dude Zion, when he was a child, I think around two, he had a severe infection, which caused him to have to amputate both hands and both feet. So he currently has two prosthetic legs, but he was living life uh, as a young boy without any hands. He just basically had two nubs. Um, He was eight years old when it happened, and they successfully uh, amputated, I guess, two cadaver hands and replaced his hands with those. So two years later, the boy's about 10 years old and he's doing fantastic. So a report published uh, a couple years ago said that the first 18 months of Zion's progress um, had been kind of a uh, touch and go, but he was pretty successful (laughs) in everything. (laughs) That's (laughs) fucked up, Rob. I'm not even going to cut it out. I'm going to leave that in there. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Hopefully people just didn't turn off the show at that point. These bastards. Um, Within days of the operation, which initially took 10 hours to complete, Zion was able to move his new fingers using ligaments. He can now count how many hours it was on his hands. (laughs) You're such a fucking asshole. Oh, no. He could only count the two before. 
good. <laughs> good. Uh, within days of the operation, which took more than 10 hours to complete, Zion was able to move his fingers using ligaments from his residual limbs, according to the report. With extensive rehabilitation, Zion tackled one milestone after another. At six months past the surgery date, he could move the newly transplanted muscles in his hands and feel touch. It was right around then that he learned to feed himself and hold a pen. By eight months, he could use scissors and crayons. Within a year, he had achieved one of his original goals, gripping and swinging a baseball bat by himself with both hands. Quote, he was able to grip the baseball bat, which was something he wanted to do, by about a year after the surgery. But now he can do it more powerfully and with more coordination and more motion between the right and the left hand, says the medical director. Most of his functional outcomes or progresses have been really related to doing things more efficiently and effectively than before. Uh, a few things that he can do now, he can zip his own pants. He can open a granola bar by himself and manipulate it and eat it on his own. His progress didn't come without hurdles, however. Zion's body has tried to reject his new limbs eight separate times, including serious episodes, uh, four and seven months after the transplants. And according to reports, he has to take four immunosuppression drugs, which doctors hope they can later on reduce. Uh, last summer, they released a video from the hospital kind of focusing on his one-year anniversary. I'll link that to our, our Facebook page. Okay, what's pretty impressive is his brain is communicating with his hands. His brain says for his hands to move, and his hands move, which that's the way we work, right, guys? Even the heartless bastards I do a show with. Okay, so what's remarkable about this is the fact that because the kid didn't have any hands before, after they were amputated, that part of his brain was kind of just docile or turned off. So doctors are more uh, impressed with the fact that his brain now controls the new fingers, the new nerves, and the new ligaments. So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty impressive that this is going on, so... And the fact uh, that the you know they, there's been uh, stories of other hand transplants because um, when the this surgery was first performed, like the first couple times, like the body right. rejected it, and mm -hmm. so then like the person you know they're able to move the hand after like so many months, <clears throat> and then they wake up one day and like the fucking hands rotting on them, and then they go in and they're like right. oh, your body rejected it, and then they yeah, get yeah, like yeah. bad blood infections and almost die. And the fact that this kid's uh, you know moving on the up and up yeah i know i was making light of it but it is pretty it's a pretty fantastic thing especially when you say he can feel and stuff like that he can actually touch right, right. yeah it's, it's impressive man and let's warm the cockles of even your heart rob by listening to this final quote he says now i can get myself dressed without anybody's help now i can get a snack out of the fridge without anybody helping me i can heat up a sandwich and a piece of pizza all by myself so it feels like i'm there already the only thing different, instead of not having any hands, now I just got two hands, and everything else is the same. Boom. Boom shakalaka. <sighs> yeah, so that's pretty fantastic, man. Little dude got some new hands. Yeah. But you, you guys are right. Uh, outside of our horrible jokes, when you watch the video, you will see there are some mild proportion issues, potentially. Or at least, they do look a little bit off, but I mean, hell... Not too shabby, I think. Um, so, did you look? Did you? Did they say he? If he had to have new hands attached later, if he would have small hands? Right. We were talking about that earlier. Um, before we is he going to be the next Donald Trump <laughs> with his tiny hands? <laughs> that that's a good question. Um, we don't really know yet. Um, I would like to think that if the tissue is living, it should have enough memory cells to. You know, allow them continue to, grow. to grow. I don't yeah, know how I that think they yeah. continue, but that's weird. Really? Hmm. I don't know. I don't. 
in my mind, and you know, I am a scientist. Uh-huh. Um, or at least you play one on TV. And uh, I just don't think that they would grow. I just don't see that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, if a kid has a heart transplant at the age of eight, does he have to have a new heart down the road? Oh, we don't know. Hearts in the chest. <laughs> Are these I don't see that thing. We should have researched before talking about yeah. this on the show. <laughs> well, now, like uh, when you do like a like corneal transplants, or like when they redo like a whole entire eye, like I knew a, a, a patient, uh-huh. a young kid who had lost his eye, and they transplanted a whole eye, and the doctor said that it would actually grow with his body. Okay, would, well, maybe you know, I'm so. wrong. So, well, no, I mean, I know. But that's like, you know, like, let's say like tongues. Okay. Like, you know, like a, a tongue, uh, there's been cases where like the, the, the organ grows back itself. So every organ's a little bit different. So you don't know like hands, skeletal structure, things like that, because we're not talking about just like a, like a heart or like a lung. We're talking about bones and things like that. So now putting on somebody else's bones and grafting them to this kid his body's going to somehow jumpstart those bones and make it grow with him? I don't know. And, and depending <clears> on <throat> how old the person was that the hands belonged to, you said it was a kid's hands, but what if they had to actually attach adult hands so he would have regular-sized hands that he'd grow into it? Would that person be a child molester then when puberty come around? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were out of the woods, folks, but no. <laughs> Uh, you know, can, you, okay. can you get post-mortem child molester? I'm just asking for a friend. <laughs> we call that a pedo geist? Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> Fucking uh, hell. Shitty, shitty bang bang. Good good for little Zion, even if one and a half of us thinks it's a triumph. <laughs> There's three of us. It'd be a third of us, not a half uh, of us. Well, yeah. Preston's halfway in. That's what she said. So, (laughs) what I think is kind of cool is the way they did the surgery. Like, they pretty much took the kid's arm and, you know, they kind of cut the little stump off, for lack of better words. But they almost cut it off at an angle, both the the new hands and the old hands, about mm, two-thirds up his forearm, close to his wrist. So, it's almost like the idea of cutting a, uh, I guess, a rose. When you cut a rose at an angle to let it survive better. And Shayla yeah. was saying that's probably due to the fact that it's easier or better to salvage the uh, the nerve endings and all the tendons and stuff like Look, that. Look, your so. wife is not a scientist. She's more of a scientist than you are. <laughs> you don't even know the difference between a bone and a fucking pebble that's embedded in your arm. Yeah, freak. <clears throat> You're still in shock. Go lay down. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, from there, I suppose, Rob, we just go ahead and jump into what you got for us. A little bit of the old uh, Rob's Roberts. Um, so uh, this past week, or last two weeks, uh, one of these security robots in Washington, D.C. that we talked about taking, uh, taking over security in our nation's capital had a unfortunate accident... <laughs> When it committed suicide by jumping into a fountain. That's right, folks. The robot had gotten so tired of Donald Trump's presidency that it it figured out that the only way to get out of this hellish job he had taken to defend these people and their honor was to drive into a fountain and kill himself. We honor this little robot sacrifice so that he may be a stepping stone 
maybe literally, to a better tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, safety bot. Thank you for your service. All 38 seconds of it. <laughs> Humanity does not compute. <laughs> Oh, so what's the context? Like he he just literally like voluntarily jumped. Uh, it just said he basically, I guess, I don't know what happened, some with his programming or whatever, but he just rolled right into a fountain. <laughs> Poor little dude. Maybe he saw the oncoming uh, Age of Ultron that we're leading ourselves into and decided that he didn't want to be anything a part of it. So that's it. Our uh, our first robot casualty. He couldn't even handle yeah. the job. So maybe our jobs are safe after all. Maybe robots won't take them all. Maybe all we need to do is just put fountains everywhere. Yeah. Maybe you should put your cat down. You don't judge me. You don't, don't need pussy your in your head. You, you're an idiot. Uh, well, um, as far as the, the core of the show this time around, it's going to be kind of short and sweet. No nonsense. That's not true. <laughs> but it's going to be a pretty simple show, guys. Two topics. Preston's going to tell us about that time that Venus... Uh, basically boned the earth with a giant lightning phallus. And then, uh, give us some some planetary discharge. (laughs) 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 And then, uh, Rob and I are going to bring it back down to earth and we're going to talk some more about some uh, missing 411 cases. We've had some, uh, some missing people cases that we've come across that kind of land close to home for, uh, both of us. And we'll just see where that takes us guys. So. I suppose, Preston, without further ado, when you're ready. Yeah, so this this next topic was kind of one of those, it was an odd journey, because first I started watching one YouTube video, and that led to another YouTube video, and then that sort of reminded me of that time, and the, I had that dream about the planet crashing into the Earth, and we, you know, I made it into a nice little production for the show, and then I started to think about uh, those little bastard birds that ate the wee people that we talked about on on the last show and in my mind i started making these connections like it started to add up in my head you know we get one and one made two and two and three made five and i was like yes i'm gonna make this really great connection and uh i've always had this fascination with lost history and the idea of an unknown unknown golden age and uh, so I think that I, I kind of found an idea that can tie this tie this all together. And uh, so bear with me for a second because I want to expand on this. So to this day, we are still in debate on when the first signs of man actually happened. Um, if we look into like the Hindu religion, they say that uh, humanity is spanned for over 50 million years. Like they, they go way the fuck out there. And then if we look at modern-day science, they say, you know, Cro-Magnon, Neanderthal, maybe earliest signs, 250,000 BCE, and then modern man when we actually moved from hunter-gatherer to civilization, you know, building pyramids and things like that, you know, 10 to, uh, to 5,000 BCE. But... As we start to dig up more sites, we keep pushing those dates back. Um, for example, like Gobekli Tempe, um, when Robert Schock dated the Sphinx, like those are taking those concrete dates that we've always thought about and we're pushing them back and we're pushing them back. Um, things like uh, the Perry Reese map that showed a ice-free Antarctica at a time that uh, you know Antarctica didn't have any ice and people weren't around, but there it is. It was mapped. <clears throat> And uh, 
take for example the pyramids we try our hardest to say oh this is this is how it was built and uh even with modern day technology we struggle with how with the how and why um you know there was a abc or pbs special where they showed this guy who was like i can build a pyramid so he got out his crane and he got four or five blocks up and you know built this miniature pyramid and then he's like yeah i don't know how they did it i, I couldn't build a pyramid that big um, so this idea of moving these big blocks with no technology kind of baffles us and we just can't really, you know, have a concrete answer on, on how they did it. And I don't know if you guys know, or the listeners know, but Rob, uh, if the world is coming to an end uh-huh. and everything's going, going to shit, like, uh, Hollywood's 2012 crap movie with, uh, what's his nuts in it. And uh, John Leguizamo, continue. He wasn't in 2012. (laughs) (laughs) Was that guy's? Anyways, doesn't matter. John Cusack. So the world's going to shit, Rob. Where are you going to go? Where's the first place that you should go to? Out in the fields and let the fucking asteroids hit me, so I can be done with this shit. (laughs) Okay, well, I mean that—that's an option. Costco. If you wanted to wait it out, if you wanted to survive, and uh, you'd go underground. No. Where the fuck would you go, go, Preston? Okay, well, you know what? Scientists did a study on this. Rob would hitch a ride to China and buy one of those new robot sex dolls. Huh? Go ahead. (laughs) Oh, I thought you actually had, like, you know, a better answer than, oh, we'll be out in the field and fucking asteroids are going to eat me. Okay, anyways, (laughs) the scientists did a study on this, and you know what they said? They said, Egypt, if you went to where the great, the, the, the plateau of Giza, where the great pyramids are, that's the last fucking place on Earth that would survive a, a catastrophe. Like, uh, the way that... Okay, uh, I gotta know the reasons why for this. Because, number one, Egypt is pretty much a desert. Right. So, there's not the, gonna be the much pyramid, water there. Clean where the oh, pyramid, my God. Where the pyramids are built, okay? That's the geocentric center of the Earth. So, if you think about, like, where volcanoes are gonna explode and, like, all these floodwaters and shit's coming down... Like, that's the last place that would be standing. So, with shit's going south, get your ass to Cairo. Go to the fucking pyramids. Okay? I don't think that's the best place to go. Yeah, I'm going to side with Rob. I don't think that's yeah. the best place to go. Oh, you guys aren't scientists, okay? Scientists Shayla is, and Shayla's yeah. married to Sean. So, that's that's <laughs> yeah, how I'm we a, do this. Uh, I'm a scientist by proxy. Okay, so, then... Did you guys also know that there's a guy out there who now thinks that the pyramids are a doomsday clock that's counting down to a global shitstorm? It's not a clock, it's and, a sundial. Uh, Everybody 20, can tell that. 40, 20, 2050 is when the next catastrophic event's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. there's so probably there's, about 10,000 guys just like him that have been wrong. Yeah, well, we don't have time, so moving on. It only takes one to be right, though. <laughs> so we have all these weird, you know, these these weird anomalies throughout history. And, you know, the, the last thing I'd like to bring up real quick so that I can tie it all back together at the end is aliens. But ancient fucking aliens, okay? Some of these things in history we can't explain. There's oddities and out-of-place artifacts, and modern academics won't move their timelines back. And as this new data comes in, that's left some of us with the only explanation that we can come up with is that the Space Brothers just wanted to help us out. And we get shows on History Channel, like Ancient Aliens, where everything's explained away. Like that little guy, Ack Ack, right there. Okay? So, how is this all connected, you might ask? How is this all connected, Preston? 
planetary you might discharge. <laughs> planetary <laughs> discharge. Ooh. Now, is there a topical mm-hmm. cream I can get that? Well, I don't know. Taken care of? I'm not a galacticologist. Oh, sorry. See what I did there? Okay. So, the electric universe theory. Have you guys heard about that? No, sir. Okay. So That's why we come universe, to you. That's why you come to me. The electric universe uh, was started with Emmanuel Velikovsky, who was a Russian Jew, and all of his theories started around the time of World War II and slightly after. Why so was he in such not, a hurry? Huh? You said Russian. <laughs> oh, boom, boom. <laughs> well, being a Russian Jew ain't a winning combo, okay? And he found this out. Um, part of the reason why is nobody actually wanted to take him serious because when they looked at him and uh, they looked at his heritage, that was just that was not a winning combo and everybody was pissed. But we'll get into that later, okay? Velikovsky was uh, started to look at the Exodus and started to look at the plagues and you know uh, like when Noah you know put the staff in the the river and turned it to blood and frogs and all that crap and uh, he wanted to see if the Egyptians had a, had records of a similar event so if the the Jews told the story or the Israelites told the story of this then if it was a real event then the Egyptians would have records of it as well and sure as shit he found the records but. Most of those events were centered around like a fire in the sky, and he realized that the the word for hail was mistranslated and really just meant falling rocks and things like that. So he postulated that this event was around a collision with a planetary object or maybe meteors, and he wrote a book about it called Wait, I'm Words sorry, and Collision. Meteors? Meteors. Oh, okay. Turts. Turts. Okay. So the this book, Worlds and Collisions, uh, proposed that around the 15th century BCE, Venus was ejected from Jupiter as a comet or a comet-like object and passed near Earth. The object changed Earth's orbit and actual inclination, causing catastrophic events which were mentioned in early myth- uh, mythologies and religions around the world. So we get, like, the floods and, uh, you know, everybody's got to tell Noah's flood, even the, the Sumerians, Gigglemash, all that bullshit. So then after that, 52 years later, it passed close by again, stopping Earth's rotation for a second catastrophic event. Then somewhere around the 8th or 7th centuries BCE, Mars um, got displaced by Venus and made a close approach to Earth. And this caused a new round of disturbances and disasters and pretty much just fucked humanity. And after the the points or the the several keys in this book that he made scientifically like his statements were that venus must still be very hot as a young planet which we you know in the 60s and 80s uh yeah uh discovered that he was right it's actually still a very hot planet um when we sent our probes um he stated that when he wrote the book venus must be rich in petroleum we actually found this to be true and uh the venus has an abnormal orbit around the sun, which we found that Venus actually spins the other direction. So all the other planets are going clockwise. Venus is the only fucking planet that's going counterclockwise. Um, He also postulated that Jupiter emits radio noises, which, I don't know, 70s or 80s, we found that Jupiter is like the loudest fucking planet in our solar system. Well, it's because that's where all the teenagers live. They have that damn loud rock music. Yeah, punk rock. (laughs) And uh, it was odd because the book was a really – it was like a bestseller. But modern-day science – scientists were just like, fuck this guy. Fuck this Jew. No, we can't say that. (laughs) 
No, really, this is what they did, and so the, they just bombarded the publisher until they traded it off. So this 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 publisher had this number one selling book, and they gave it to some like thirty you know shitty third third rate publisher, and they're like, here you guys go, and then you know it became a number one bestseller. But scientists at the time did not like this guy changing the paradigm. It was you know everybody had uh, finally started to kind of bl- catch on to Einstein theories, and they were kind of going the Einstein route. And then he had this, you know, radical Russian juice spouting off all these things about, you know, Venus and Mars fucking over Earth and nobody wanted to buy into it until the 1980s. So Wallace Thornhill and David Talbot, if we throw them into the mix, um, they started to pick up where Vilikovsky let off. And um, Thornhill did like weird mad scientist experiments in his, you know, laboratory and uh and he Preston, believed- hold on, stop. It's Velikovsky. Velikovsky. Whatever. Well, what you made it sound like Bill Cosby. <laughs> oh. <laughs> didn't, I, didn't I say Velikovsky? You said Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby. Like no, I said Velikovsky. No, you Point said Bill. Anyway, so Bill Cosby, they picked up where Bill Cosby left off. Okay. So, anyways, in the 80s, Thornhill. Like the bottom of a cup. Uh, mm. <laughs> oh boy, like the like the pudding, like I like the science. <laughs> <laughs> so Thornhill uh, started all these experiments in the in the eighties, where he actually showed that uh, plasma discharge is what was actually happening in between these these planets. Mm-hmm. So imagine a solar system where uh, Mars and Earth and Uranus and all those places are a lot closer together. And each time that these planets orbit each other, they give off a plasma discharge, which actually takes the form of lightning. So if you look at Europa, you'll see all these like corkscrews scarring on the the shapes on the surface of Europa. Mm-hmm. Mars, the top half um, is a lot higher than the bottom half of Mars. So if you look at where the equator is, it looks like somebody just fucking ripped the shit out of Mars. And uh, so he'd actually, in these experiments, he actually, like, reproduced these scarrings on, like, metals and different objects and things like that to actually show that what caused these were planetary discharges. And so the the actual, the body of the electric universe started to form. And um, the other guy, Talbot, came in and said, okay, well, let's let's start looking at what Vilikoski did. Let's, Let's look into the myths. And so he postulated that when Greeks and Romans were talking about the gods like Zeus and Kronos and Mars and things like that, Mm -hmm. that they were actually talking about the planets. And they lived in a time where the planets were a lot closer. So every time the planets would, would, you know, pass by each other, they could actually see, you know, from Earth, they could see the thunderbolts, the gods fighting back and forth. And they could see this, you know, this war going on in the skies. And... Um, that's, you know, that's basically the time when Venus shot a thunderbolt into Earth's ass and really fucked us. <laughs> now, the other theories um, include that if the planets were closer together and there was enough planetary discharge going on, then that would actually be the fuel or the catalyst um, to actually turn Saturn into a sun. So you know how scientists today say that most you know systems are binary star systems, they're more than one? Mm-hmm. And they, they say that ours is, they just don't know exactly which star it was. Well, in the electric universe theory, that would actually be Saturn because these planets would be so close together and giving off so many discharges mm-hmm. that it would actually turn Saturn into the second sun. So if Saturn was the second sun, that actually gives great life-giving conditions to planet Mars. 
if Venus was in a different orbit or let's say that the, all the different, I don't know how many fucking moons does Jupiter have? Jupiter has like what, 22 moons or something. I don't know. They keep fucking added moons to Jupiter. It's hard to keep track, but all those moons would be in a place to where if they're close to a brown dwarf star, that they would have the conditions for life. And at one point in time, you know, they actually say Mars had an atmosphere and they had all these, you know, had the, the poles had water around them and all this bullshit. So all these people, or even Planet X, that, uh, what would the, the fucking Nibiru? Yeah. If Saturn was a brown dwarf star, then even if it Nibiru They actually had a really prefer to be called little person stars. Little person. Okay, so whatever. Fucko. Anyway, so planet Nibiru would actually, if it was orbiting around not only our star, but a second dwarf brown star uh-huh. that was in the same solar system. What you talking about, Willis? Act- <laughs> what you talking about, Willis? What it you talking about, Saturn? Support, it could actually support life. What you talking about, Cosby? So these, I'm just talking so about these, the Pluto pops. Hey. <laughs> hey. So all these theories about you know ancient aliens like um, civilizations from Mars visiting us, all that could actually be plausible if we actually looked into the electric universe theory. Huh. Yeah. So basically, all in all, Venus was a meteor that shot out of Saturn? Jupiter. Jupiter. That's kind of weird. And it fucked it. And it fucked everything up. Yeah. Shit got all willy nilly and catty discharge. Suddenly that, now here's the thing. <laughs> suddenly, that song drops of Jupiter makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but here's, And then the other thing is if the planets were closer together, it'd be a lot easier. To travel from like Mars to Earth or whatever it is. Oh yeah, so that's if you common these, sense. If you, and yeah, also, so it does Tybo. Yeah, <laughs> and gives me room and to grow. So if, you, uh, so if you had all these these uh, advanced civilizations, like something on Mars that uh, was uh, you know was more advanced than Earth at the time, uh-huh. they could easily travel back and forth. And the idea that if uh, all the planetary objects were closer together, then the gravity in Earth would be a little bit different. Uh-huh. And if the gra- uh, gravity was a little bit different, then that would explain it why at one point we had giants and we don't have giants anymore. Why we could build bigger, you know, like the pyramids and all these big monolithic structures mm-hmm. because it'd be easy to manipulate these objects. Whereas now we have, you know, problems manipulating three ton rocks or whatever it is. Okay, so you're uh, saying basically gravity made people shrink. The yeah, well, the, that's part of the theory I, that they're yeah, postulating. Yeah. I, I get it. Gravity that, makes uh, like one ton rocks or three ton rocks easier to carry, but you're saying gravity too would cause us to shrink, right? I mean, that's the yeah, because the, the Earth itself and the, the shift lost like the you know the atmosphere, mm-hmm. the rotation, all that. You know, the just we lost all that, and so and the frequency of the Earth, the way it vibrates, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like I don't know, what do they say? It's at like five hertz now. I don't mind that now. shit, so I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, well, I mean, that's just what they postulate. I don't know. <laughs> How many times are you going to use the word postulate and postulate tonight? Did you just learn a word today, Preston? <laughs> it was tonight at dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did we use that word tonight at dinner? <laughs> postulate? I don't know. Postulate. There. Prostate. Prostate. <laughs> Postulate. Man, we're gonna have a Let's really hard Bill time Cosby. doing these these serious stories next. Are you drinking out of a mason jar? Well, he is a mason, uh, yep. so every jar he has is a mason jar. Oh, but um. <laughs> so we're gonna really get serious here. I don't know how many jokes uh, are uh, <laughs> you guys have heard today. I don't know how many times Sean cut these jokes out, but we're gonna kind of take things down a notch to be a more a serious approach, and uh, I have a story here. Uh, we got some missing person cases we're going to take, and these are both 
important to us. Mine is a pretty popular, famous case around here of a woman named Heather Teague who disappeared. Uh, she was 23 at the time, and this happened in August 26th of 1995. And this story has gone through a lot over the last 22 years. Um, and I even have some personal uh, accounts of weird things as well. Um, we're going to go back to August 26, 1995, to a place in Henderson called Newburgh Beach. And it's on the Kentucky side of the Ohio River. Uh, there was a woman out there sunbathing, uh, Heather Teague. Um, the rumors are that she was uh, out there by herself, topless. Um, but somebody approached her with a gun. He had bushy hair and a beard uh, and grabbed her by the hair and drug her off. Now, we know this because a man on the Indiana side of the river uh, actually had been viewing her through a telescope uh, no, about a mile like, away. Like Pervin on her, right? Pervin, yeah. I mean, okay. he um, – well, th- and that here's the thing. Was he Pervin on her? Because there's other things going on with the story. That we'll get to, but this is just, this is just the the facts as we know them. Um, You know, it's funny, like, I was talking to someone the other day, they said, hey, what's on your next show? And I was like, well, I think we're going to talk more about, like, missing cases, you know, missing 411 and stuff. And they're like, man, like, why do you guys talk about that shit so much? And I said, it's just weird, like, you think you've heard them all after you've read a couple or you've listened to a couple podcasts, and the shit just gets weirder and weirder. Like, there's, there's cookie cutter, like... Joe Blow went for hunting and he fell in the river and died and disappeared, whatever. Then there's just super weird shit. So I'm, I'm sorry. I just want to throw that in there. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and this is – nothing about this story is really paranormal except for a few things I got – I found just on YouTube today that yeah. uh, I wanted to add to it. Um, but so anyway, she was seen dragged off um, by a man with bushy beard and uh, – a bushy hair and a beard. Um, and that's a very important thing because that's the first reports we got about this guy. So, uh, she didn't come home that night. She was reported missing. The man said that he, uh, supposedly he called 911 that night, um, to report that, uh, this man had been taken or this, this woman had been taken. Uh, another farmer, a few days later when he hit the news, came up with a video he happened to be recording and he said he's seen a red and white Bronco. Now, the reason why this red and white Bronco is important to the story is because it believed it was uh, property of one Marty Dill, Marvin Marty Dill. And he is a very important part of the story as well. And even to this whole mystery of the whole situation, because for the longest time, he has been the one that has been blamed for the story or had been blamed for her missing. Um hmm. So anyway, she disappeared. They had a video uh, from a video camera of a farmer that seen the, his vehicle drive by. Uh, supposedly, there were reports of uh, two vehicles seen on that road uh, parked next to other, next to each other. One was that red Bronco, and the other one was Heather Teague's car. Um, and and I, I'm sorry if anybody's listened to this; they've heard the story, and I'm, I'm butchering a few things. It's kind of trying to hard. It's I went down a rabbit hole today, and I think this is a very <laughs> important story. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, Marty Dill, uh, they, they claimed that it was his vehicle. He got pulled over that day as well in the area. And the police officers noticed that he had two guns, two knives, rubber gloves, rope, uh, and his, his, uh, his tailgate had, a blood, had blood stains on it. 
So Ugh. automatically people are like, um, that's very suspicious. Um, yeah. So, however, <clears throat> here's the thing. And this is, I know from personal dealings, Not I've probably met the man before he did this. But I do know this, that he was an avid hunter. Uh-huh. Um, he used to, I used to work at a video store and he was a customer there and all he rented was hunting tapes. So he all, he hunted all the time. And if you think of those items, knives, guns, right. rope, the blood stain, suddenly it makes sense that. Right. So, um, however, this is where the story gets a little weird. Uh, he got told by somebody that the cops were coming to arrest him after he got pulled over that day for, uh, I think he got pulled over that day for, uh, because of the, the video. Maybe it wasn't the same day that she disappeared now that I'm thinking about it, but he got pulled over as a suspect. And so that's when they searched his car and found that stuff. And then he had heard over the scanner that they were coming for him. He told his wife to leave. Um, and the police showed up there. They surrounded his home, but before they could get in, uh, the story is he shot himself and killed himself. Oh, wow. Uh, so that's where the story mostly ended, but we could never find the body of Heather Teague around here. And we've looked. We've had psychics brought in and everything. Now, that's all that the media really has talked about. However, wow. <sighs> Heather Teague's mom, Sarah has been so ingrained with this since it's happened. For the last 22 years, she has put up billboards. She's begged people to come forward with information. She's been on Henderson County message boards defending what was going on, defending her thoughts, defending even Marty Dale, Deal, the man that is accused of killing her daughter. Really? Be- because there's a few things that when she started investigating it later, she started, you know, she she became an expert on filing a FO, a FOA, whatever they're called, FOIA, Freedom of Information Act. Yeah, yeah, Freedom of Information uh, Act, yeah. To get the information from the police, and the police seemed to fight her at every step of the way. Uh-huh. And she started, she started piecing together some things. She says the day, a month before Marty Dill died, or killed himself, he had shaved himself bald and had shaved his beard. Now, if you remember back to the very beginning of the story, the man that captured her was bushy-haired and had a beard. And Marty's mom had come forward and said her son was bald and had a, had no beard the day before Heather went missing because she had seen him that day. Or like uh-huh, that was like uh-huh. her birthday or something. <laughs> so already she was she's like, well, how, uh, this man came forward and so she wanted to she wanted to see the sketch and she wanted to hear the 911 call. Yeah. yeah. Well, they couldn't find the 911 call. Apparently the man said well he called 911, however, he didn't go in and make a police report until 4 days later. However, when he got questioned about it, he said, "Well, maybe I didn't make a 911 call." He said, "I pro- I radioed the police from home." Now, what is a man living in Indiana? How is he ra- radioing a police officer in Henderson, Kentucky? Right, unless he knew like the specific uh, straight phone well, line. Well, I mean, maybe, but it just seems very odd. Right, and he didn't come in and make any kind of police report for four days, so she fought for a long time to get the police report or to get mm-hmm. the the nine one one call. She finally got a she was finally able to listen to a nine one one call, and the story had changed. She, the man says that the guy that abducted her. Had on a had on was had on a hat and had mosquito net covering his face. 
Ah. And how? And then he drew had a picture of her. Now here's the thing: the picture he drew looked almost exactly like Marty Dill's driver's license photo. Oh yeah. And however, as we've done said before, his mother and everybody else said he was bald a month ago, and he was bald the day before this all happened. Uh-huh, so, uh-huh. Uh, and to even make it matters even worse, is who also had a red bronco, red and white bronco, was a man named Sonny Dill, who was Marty's dad. Okay. And right. he was friends with the Henderson, Henderson's major, uh, Henderson major police department, uh, the uh, major of the Henderson Police Department. Oh, okay. So she has been investigating this end of it. She's been getting fought every step of the way. So even the story even deals a little further than that, that the night before she disappeared, she met with a police officer, um, and uh, Jackie, I think it's Jackie Hendricks or J- Jim Hendricks. I can't remember exactly what his name was. And the thing that's weird about this is he met with her the night before and then tried to come and claim that that never happened. Uh, his He said that he'd met her three months before or whatever. But there's even rumors that she was involved in a police sting operation, maybe uh-huh. trying to catch somebody, <clears throat> and they let her get taken or she was killed accidentally uh, or because it was, a, like it was a fake drug sting or something like that and the people didn't get to her at uh, time. But we've yeah. heard... We've heard hundreds of stories around here. We've heard that she was eaten by hogs. She's buried underneath somebody's porch and, and concrete. Mm-hmm. Just uh, we've been hearing these stories for years. Everybody that's been around has heard a Heather Teague story, and she's been missing for 22 years. Uh, they, the Henderson County Police Department, has set on had set on a DNA uh, thing that they had found. They had found some DNA evidence at the site, and they let it sit in their vaults for 10 years. Before anybody oh, wow. did did any kind of DNA search, they did a. They said the man that took her was six foot tall. He was wearing no shirt and he weighed a hundred uh, or two hundred and forty pounds. Marty Deal was like five six or five eight something like that and weighed a hundred and eighty pounds. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but he supposedly this man drew a picture from memory four days later of Marty Deal almost exactly like his picture on his ID from a mile away looking through a telescope. When he didn't have huh. bushy hair or bushy beard, and then claimed that he had a radio to contact the Evansville Police Department or the Henderson Police Department. So, you is any of this stuff true? I, you know, we don't know. And right. the, the mother has been searching for her daughter for, like I said, twenty two years. Yeah. Uh, and it's and she has never given up. There are still signs in this town to this day hanging up for her with information. So I just wanted to put that out there because there definitely is something going on. They also found a footprint uh, by Heather's uh, uh, pool chair that she was sitting at that night or that morning. Uh And that shoe print was also bigger than Marty Dill's foot. Oh, okay. So So when Marty got pulled over by the police – is there any mention of him having long bushy hair and a bushy beard then? There was a there was a report filed and on that report it literally says bald. Okay. Right. And but they they, <clears throat> they didn't take a picture of him cuz they I guess they took him in for questioning that day cuz they you know yeah. the cuz he I guess he also had a felony account against him for something else. Sure. And so maybe having the guns on him was probably enough to bring him in for questioning yeah, and plus yeah. you know but uh and also, what's weird, like I, uh, what I've heard before too, is that 
uh, he he may not even killed himself. His uh, his the guy that the sheriff or the major of the police department may have shot him himself to protect his dad from some whatever happened. But uh-huh. it could have been a drug deal gone wrong. We've heard stories about she was uh, kidnapped and sold into prostitution. Yeah, uh, I mean, you just hear she was. Uh, you hear lots of things. It may have had something to do with strip clubs. I don't know. Uh-huh. We've heard a. Uh-huh. I've heard a lot of. I heard that there were some people <clears throat> buying uh, women from strip clubs in Madisonville around here, and so that was kind of brought up that maybe she was uh, groomed to basically be sold. Uh, somebody. Had, oh, right. So we don't. I honest. She was a pretty girl. And yeah, I saw a picture of her. She's a pretty lady. But uh. it's. It's a horrible case, and uh, I don't know if anybody around here would have information, uh, but I do want to give that number out. Sure. So that if you guys have any information about Heather Teague, please call Sarah Teague, 270-824-8343, or the Kentucky State Police, 270-826-3312. And to me, this is a very, very local case, yeah, I understand that, but it, it there's a lot of mystery surrounding it, especially after watching something like Making a Murderer. You yeah, know, we know that's police what I thought about. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Making a Murderer. You know, and this happened in '95, so you know it's yeah. So anyway, that's that's the story I wanted to tell. Huh? That's intense, man. Because you never really you never really hear about that kind of stuff happening locally. Like these books I read, the first thing I do when I got missing four one one. Uh, both books I have is go straight to Kansas and see what kind of Kansas stories there are. And there's not a lot. And that's not saying missing people aren't, you know, being reported. It's just that he hasn't actually got to those stories. And I looked up Kentucky as well to see if I could find anything and don't really come across much. So, hmm, that's that's bizarre, man. Now, did you say anything as far as like the epilogue where – Marty's dad is now or anything? And no one's ever really talked much about Marty's dad. I, that may mm. just be a false start. You know, I don't I don't know. But they had the same kind of vehicle. Yeah, and I mean, with these stories, too, the stories kind of, they're not really folk legends, but that information is not really part of the story, or at least right. not what makes the story good. So over time, that probably falls by the wayside, and we lose and the, only, so. and the way I do want to tie this to some paranormal things is as I was looking over YouTube today to refresh my memory about the case, I was trying to find like news mm-hmm. uh, stuff about that. And all I found was uh, Sarah Teague, you know, uh, her mother uh, talking about the information she found in, 19, in 2015 about the FBI being involved in this investigation. She's suing the she recently sued the. Kentucky State Police Department, and she did that about two years ago, and it finally went through, and they denied her the ability to get those things. But she's also fighting to get the FBI to take over the case because if they turn all, then they have they're forced to turn all that information over to the FBI, and the FBI has told her that they would help her. So she's been fighting to try to get that case taken to the FBI. Um, okay, right. And I said originally to tie it into the paranormal, uh, I was looking, like I said, through the YouTube's. And I just looked up Heather Teague, and there was a man on there who was doing EVP readings uh, near Marty Dill's uh, Marty Dill's house. There's a there's a cemetery out out in front of the house, and so he's actually in the cemetery, and he's asking spirits to about the the case. And, and he says, mm. is there anybody else buried in the property and stuff behind me? Because you can literally see the house behind him in the picture. <laughs> I don't know. If it's I don't. When I say EVP, I meant the Divic box type of stuff that Preston could go into here. Uh, but basically. 
it, it just cycles through radio stations fast. And supposedly, if you ask it questions, these spirits can manipulate the uh, electromagnetic energy of the radio stations to, to produce words. Uh, is that the gist of it, Preston? Yeah, and part of my, my problem with using something like that is a, a lot of people never use it on the AM frequencies because AM, you, you don't typically have a lot of noise. And so you'll see a lot of them use it on FM, and it's really noisy. And it's cycling so fast, it's going through five radio stations per one second or four radio stations per one second. And if you put it on something noisy like FM, it literally, literally sounds like meep, 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 meep. And then you'll have these paranormal investigators that slow it down. And when you listen to it, it's like, rain on Tuesday. And then they'll just be like, see, it says right there, death on the side of the house. And you're <laughs> like, no, that's that's not what it said at all. So, like, when we, we use it, when we do our paranormal investigations, we put it on AM and break off the antenna. And, uh, you know, the only time we ever present that as evidence is when you have a clear voice that, like, you know, we went to a cemetery and we asked, you know, can you give us your name? And it said, like, Albert or, you know, was, and we pull up all the Alberts in that cemetery and there's only one. You know, when in, you know, how old were you when you died? 25. Okay, well, that's a clear voice right there. Um, so that could actually be used as evidence. But if you're just putting it on FM and fucking cycling it through it and then it's like, rain on Tuesday. I just said that the, she's at the side of the house right there. That's, that's yeah, and that's what this evidence. This is what that video no. actually sounded like to me, too. It, you couldn't, he was holding it up to a camera, you know, and he's talking to it and he doesn't like have it like, recorded and played you know and slowed down and stuff like that so you could hear anything it literally was him holding it to the camera and asking questions and then you could barely hear occasionally we'd hear pops and stuff that sounded like something yeah but mm -hmm. then again he was also pu putting the words words up on the screen that he heard so that automatically you're going to hear what what, what he yeah right. you can hear it better if you know what you're supposed to be listening to so so that's yeah, all that's i got true. so sean what do you got <laughs> a phlegm. I got a mucus ball, apparently. Holy shit, shit planetary discharge. <laughs> <laughs> Man, hang on. Okay, geez. Apparently I'm not supposed to talk about this. Um, so, yeah, like you said, it's this stuff's close to home. And my story, um, it, I don't want to say it fell in my lap, because that's not fair to say, but my cousin reached out to me probably right around the time we had just finished recording um, the missing 411 episode we did a couple uh, shows back. And she was like, no, you know what? Back up. What happened was I noticed on Facebook she had commented on a post or retweeted, re re reposted something about a story of where is Jesse Ross. And I was like, hey, cool. That's kind of neat. Missing person case. So I clicked on it, read a little bit about it. And the name Ross was familiar, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. And you never think of this stuff happening to, like, people you know or family. So I, I messaged my cousin. I was like, hey, what's going on with this case? And she's like, you know, Jesse was my cousin. And I was like, huh? And I was like, oh, man, the Rosses. Like, I grew up with some of them. And I'm not at all playing the victim here or trying to be like, poor pitiful me, my cousin you know, disappeared because it's not my cousin and I don't claim to, I don't remember them. I probably have met them. Um, I met several of the Rosses growing up, but basically um, the story that I'm going to tell is going to be about Jesse Ross and he is my cousin's cousin, but no direct relation to me. But anyway, yeah. So I'm talking to my cousin and she's like, yeah, you know, my cousin disappeared back in like 2000, uh, 2006. 
And so she's like, you should look at it. It's a really interesting case. So that's what I'm doing. Like, like I said, you never think of this stuff happening to people, you know, or people, you know, who know these people, uh, Jesse Ross was 19 years old, uh, 19 years old, making big strides in life. He was a redhead, pale complexion, uh, moderate build, pretty thin guy, 140 pounds, Caucasian. And he lived at home with his folks while he was going to college. Um, at 19 years old, Jesse was already making big strides in his young life. He was a sophomore at the University of Missouri in Kansas City. He was working as an intern at a radio station. And then he also had just recently pledged into the Lambda Chi or Chi Alpha fraternity as well. And he was currently interning at 95.7 The Vibe uh, radio station. So his parents said that he was just starting to plan a trip to Costa Rica when he received a promotion at the radio station he was working at. Um, he was kind of interning for a show called Shorty and the Boys. Um, because he's a redhead, pale complexion, freckles, he was nicknamed Opie Cunningham, inspired by the character Opie Taylor from The Andy Griffith Show and Richie Cunningham from Happy Days. And while he was interning there, uh, the station frequently did a series called Where's Opie Cunningham? And the segments, uh, they'd send him out to some random mystery location in Kansas City, and people could call in and guess where he was, and I'm going to assume, like, win a prize, which is a really ironic because where's Jesse because he's gone. Like he literally has disappeared. So, um, on November 18th, 2006, Jesse's dad, Don dropped his son off at the university of Missouri in Kansas city, uh, where he would travel with a group of friends and, uh, fellow students to Chicago in a van. Jesse was excited about the ship, uh, trip to Chicago. He had basically been selected to attend the AMUN event, uh, the previous year and couldn't wait to go uh, again this year. And what this is, is kind of like a mock United Nations uh, program. It's just a huge convention they go to. It lasts like three or four days. So um, later that day, after his dad dropped him off, he ends up calling his dad from the road at some diner um, near Illinois, like Joylette, Illinois. And he just checked in with his dad. They talked for a little bit about the movie The Blues Brothers, and that'd be the last time that Don ever talked to his son. Now, you fast forward to November 20th, two days later, um, he calls home and he talks to his mom. And she said that he was having a blast, so to speak, at the event. He seemed to be in very good spirits. He was never a secret keeper. He didn't act like anything was wrong. He had a very open, uh, honest relationship with his family. And there's no real need for her to assume that he, you know, something was going on. But what's really strange is um, <clears throat> the AMUN event was called the American model United nations. And what it was, uh, again, is a, just a convention in Chicago and these kids would meet up and they'd learn about United nations and mock, you know, conventions and everything else. Um, alcohol wasn't permitted at the event, but according to students there, Jesse and some of his fellow delegates from other, uh, and in colleges, sorry, from other colleges around the country were partying and were drinking before and after the dance about 1 AM. Now, Jesse and about 50 of his, uh, fellow students, attended an emergency security council session that was going to last through the night. It was a historical session from the year 1990, and the delegates were basically going to debate how to respond to Iraq's invasion of Kuwait. So basically reliving this, and it was going to give them a chance to kind of filibuster and talk about how things went, how things could have gone, different things. Uh, attendees testified that Jesse, who was a part of the delegation representing the Democratic Republic of Congo, didn't appear to be impaired, didn't seem like he was drunk or acting strange at all. But according to hotel surveillance footage, he walked out of the ballroom of the Sheraton Hotel in Chicago and um, 
took a break sometime between 2 a.m. and 2.30. And what's weird is during this conference, you don't really take breaks to leave. You just kind of take breaks to filibuster or kind of, you know, get your notes together and everything else. But apparently Jesse decides he has to take an actual break from the event and he just kind of disappears. And they don't know if he left to go get food, get a drink, stand outside, wake himself up, because this is going to be an all-night deal. And again, they hit him up out of nowhere and said, hey, guys, you got to come down here right now. It's an emergency meeting. So they kind of caught them off guard, such as in real life. So it immediately brings up a lot of weird questions. Number one, he's disappeared. His body has never been recovered, neither by the police in Chicago or the private detectives that the family has hired. They've never been able to produce a suspect or even a credible clue as to what happened to Jesse. Um, did he leave in the middle of the meeting and decide to walk back to his hotel? Maybe. You know, it's about uh, half a mile away, not too far of a walk. But if so, while he was walking, it's a pretty populated area. Lots of, you know, homeless people, midnight owls, that kind of thing. Nobody reported seeing him. So, you know, was he attacked? Was he propositioned? Um, some people think maybe he was drunk and he fell in the river. Nobody really knows. Um, maybe something went wrong, as oftentimes they do in college. And maybe some fellow students maybe hurt him or something went awry and they disposed of his body. Maybe he had a drug overdose or some kind of accident. Uh, nobody really knows. Uh, they said that he had a lot to live for. He's a communications major who joined the Model UN because he had a keen interest in internal affair, international affairs. He was also a passionate person about music. He was a DJ who liked to make his own mixes. He managed a rock band called The Dead Giveaway. And at least one of the AMUN attendees said that he had just talked about going to a rave the day before. So maybe he went to a rave and had a drug overdose and fell in the river. Uh, we don't really know. But yeah, again, he had a lot going on. He had the trip for Costa Rica. He had all sorts of cool stuff. He was really stoked about joining the, the radio station as an actual employee. So um, he's described as kind of a square. He went to Catholic schools. Um, he's probably what you called a social drinker, but not really an alcoholic. Uh, he, a little gullible, they say maybe. A little naive, which means uh, makes police think that maybe he got lured away by somebody. You know, hey, you want to come party? Blah, blah, blah. And he just ducked out. But it's just kind of weird. But they say what's even more strange is the fact that on the third day of the gathering, the delegates had about five hours in the afternoon, and Jesse brought a friend who was a fellow delegate named Megan to the Billy Goat Tavern. Um, the place was made famous by John Belushi. And being a John Belushi fan, maybe he just wanted to go there and you know have a couple of drinks to kind of relive his fav favorite movies and whatnot. But uh, the details of when he disappeared are kind of murky based on interviews uh, with conference participants and footage from security cameras, his parents know that he and other students were drinking and they know that he walked out of the ballroom during a break right around 2, 2.30 a.m. He went down an escalator towards the hotel's lower level, but the camera secure, the security cameras at the hotel have no footage of him leaving the hotel. They have no evidence of him leaving, which means he could have only gone out one door, which on the, which was on the south side of the property. None of the cameras show him leaving the hotel via the south side either, um, but it was near the Chicago River, which lead police to think that he probably, maybe he was just plastered and maybe stumbled out and fell into the river. Um, the delegates were staying in three different hotels, and Jesse and his roommates, Ralph Parker, were at the Sheridan Four Points. And so his roommate ends up going back to his room late that night and stumbles into bed and didn't notice anything awry. He thought he was actually sleeping in his bed because there's clothes and stuff piled up on the bed. Um, he wakes up the next morning and realizes Jesse's not there and he kind of freaks out and contacts, you know, the adults basically and reported him being missing. So that's really strange. But what's weird is, um, the police didn't find any weird, unusual clues 
in his room. Um, they searched his personal computer, found nothing. The credit cards, his cell phone, his debit card, nothing was active. Nothing's been charged since then. Uh, cell phone died shortly after he disappeared, but no unusual calls were made before or after. Um, his parents say that the students that were there the night that he uh, disappeared were kind of reluctant to talk to them, though, um, after their son disappeared. Initially, they chalked this up to being traumatized. But they said since years have gone by, nobody really wants to have much to do with, you know, giving them any more clues or really talk about what happened. Um, they think that maybe somebody's trying to cover things up, potentially. Hmm. Uh, Don said that a few of the students told them that the university had asked them not to talk to his parents or the police. And they felt that the school may have been afraid of lawsuits or they could be yeah. covering something up. Right. So, And that kind of happens a lot of times. Anytime a big school has something happen. Uh, they just tell everybody, don't talk about it, leave it alone. The director of media relations for the University of Missouri-Kansas City denied that any representative of the school had discouraged students from talking to the police or the Ross family and says that we provided the Chicago police with a full list of all students on the trip and we have done everything we can to assist the family in the police investigation. But the parents still argue, no, they won't talk to us, they won't tell us about anything. And I think it's important to, to say, too, because you didn't really discuss this, but they had him on camera leaving the hotel, but no other camera seen him outside of the hotel. Yeah, and that's where it kind of becomes murky, because when you look at different cases, some say he's on camera, at least in the lobby, but no camera shows him leaving, which means he would have only gone out the one door on the south side, because there's a camera on all the other doors. <clears throat> but I don't know. So the Ross family continues to look for Jesse and have you know hopes that maybe he's alive, maybe he just up and skipped town, started a new life, maybe. Or something to that effect. Um, they say they continue to hold out. They continue to hold out hopes that he's alive and in good standing. Uh, they did have a brief 15-second appeal about Jesse's disappearance that aired on America's Most Wanted a couple years ago. Um, a few leads trickled in after that. A truck driver in Texas said that he saw Jesse entering a vehicle. A couple in Florida who run a rehab center said that Jesse had stayed with them. And another person thought they had purchased a couple things from him from Craigslist. Um, each lead gave the family a little glimmer of hope, but nothing ever panned out. Nothing ever really became a true, you know, piece of evidence. So I don't know. It's, it's super weird. Um, well, since the incident, the AMUN has boosted up their security and some more of their policies to kind of help with students, make sure the students are there. Uh, they don't leave, make sure to have more grown ups kind of watching them and stuff like that. But well, I mean, he was 19. He was a grown up. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, sure. For all intents and purposes, I mean, he was in college. We like to think that college kids are kind of a little bit more intelligent than the normal folk, but I don't know. Well, I mean, um, they're on their own. I mean, you know, 19 college students yeah. usually go away from home. I mean, it's considered – 18 is considered of age. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he was – they needed an adult. You know, it's, it's that's a strange statement to make. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really, in closing, it just says that his parents say, we don't want cover-ups. We want to know the truth about what happened to our son up in Chicago. We need the truth, even if it reflects poorly on Jesse. We just want to know. Um, the Rosses have spent several sleepless nights speculating on what could have happened to Jesse. The only possibility they've ruled out is a notion that he simply decided to run away. He had too much going on for him, his dad says. Somebody has intentionally interfered with his ability to come home. If he had decided to run and live in Tahiti, somebody would know about it. A cab driver, a person at the airport, somebody. Um, his mom says Jesse just may have made a bad choice or maybe not. He may have simply crossed paths with evil 
Was there an accident? Did he drink too much? Did he hit his head somewhere? Maybe one of those kids put his body in a bag and snuck him out. Maybe he could be alive living anywhere in the world. Um, he could be dead in a ditch. We just don't know. We still hope that he comes home one day. But um, if, the real- if the reality is something different, if Jesse is beyond this world, then he also is beyond all the hurt, the danger, and the pain of existing in this world. Um, so we can hold on to that. But I don't know, man. It's just another one of those weird cases. And I had I, I don't remember hearing about this at all. I don't remember, like, family talking about it, my parents or anything else. But, I mean, right around that time in 2006, in November, I was married for about six months at that point. So I'm not really paying too much attention to family and what's going on. We're just kind of worrying about ourselves and, you know, doing married people stuff. So, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so you know, as usual, like you said, Rob, there is a number on here for people to call. Peeper peeper to call um if anybody has any information about the disappearance of jesse ross please contact the chicago police department directly 312-744-8266 or you can reach out to his family and there is still an active reward as of this one posting from march 8 2016 so and you know i looked up a little bit on uh reddit and there's people that attended the conference and said that it's just really weird that nobody typically left for breaks because you typically filibuster or just kind of go go stand in the hallway for a minute and go back in. So I don't know. Super weird, but maybe, you know, it could have been anything. Maybe that girl that he was hanging out with, he seen her kissing on somebody else or something. And at the UN conference and, you know, and just got mad and left and something happened, you know, it could have been anything like that. I mean, yeah, it, it could be, it could be a multitude of different things, but you're right. And I mean, you know, she and, you, and maybe she feels guilty about it and never wanted to come forward because you know maybe maybe he's seen her in a hallway or something talking to a guy or you know or maybe kissed him or something and she he was jealous and got angry and just walked out. And she didn't want to say anything because she didn't want to feel like she's probably trying to. Maybe she feels guilty, you know. Yeah. I, you know, I, you don't know. You got to look at the human emotion of something like this. Yeah, that's very true. That's that's very very true. So I don't know. Uh, the book is called Where's Opie? Vanished in Chicago. And basically it says it allows the reader to write along with the family of a missing person. Jesse Opie Ross, uh, learn the details of his disappearance in Chicago, share the experience with the family. I don't know. I think I may pick it up. Check it out and see see how it is. But Well, guys, I think we've done enough. So why don't we go ahead and plug some stuff and get out of here? What's everybody, uh, anybody watching anything good? Nothing noteworthy? Game of Thrones has been pretty good for the last two episodes. That's true. Hadn't been bad. Save that really annoying uh, cameo. Um, I've been watching Preacher Season 2, and that show is just fan-flipping-tastic. I don't think Mark's liked this season so far. Really? Castlevania. Don't forget Castlevania. Castlevania is... It's only four episodes, but it's a pretty good four episodes. I would disagree. Did, Did you watch it, Rob? I haven't finished the last episode and a half. Yeah, cool. I, I dig it. I think it's cool. It definitely, yeah. I was a little uh, underwhelmed at first because I was like, man, I just want flea men and succubuses and everything else. But it's basically setting things up for the next season where I think you're going to get a lot of action. I, I thought it was a great story. Yeah. Gives you a pretty cool background as to why the Belmonts are cursed to fight Dracula, blah, blah, blah. And Westworld. How about <laughs> Anybody watching Westworld at all? Anybody watch Westworld? I'm two episodes in, and so far it's pretty interesting stuff. So, all right. Well, uh, before we plug podcasts, should we go ahead and plug a little bit of this uh, Big Dobbs beard balm? Oh, let's. Oh, let's. 
So yeah, Rob and Preston and myself um, were lucky enough to be the recipients of some Big Dobbs Beard Balm. And this is a, I don't want to say local because we're Kansas, he's Nebraska, but I'm going to say local anyway. Kind of a local um, made in the U.S. beard balm, beard oils, beard soaps, and everything else you might need to keep your beard fresh, clean, and smelling good. Uh, Big Dobbs sent us each a sample of their classic smelling beard balm, and I'm totally digging it. What do you guys think? I like the way it smells. It it holds its smell pretty yes, well. Yes, it does. Puts them on before dinner. It's a nice forest, forestry uh, smell. <laughs> forestry. It smells so good, Rob can't even describe how wonderful <laughs> right. it smells. I'll put it on my face, and I just smell it all night long, and it smells so good. Man, you're, you're exactly right. And like Preston said, he puts them on before dinner. I, I can put it on in the morning whenever I uh, go to work. And about mid-afternoon, I might brush my beard a little bit just to kind of get it to calm down because sometimes it gets super frizzy because of the freaking humidity in Kansas. And then all of a sudden just invigorates the smell and I can just smell it again. And, you know, four or five hours after wearing it, people are like, you smell really good. What is that? What kind of cologne is that? And I just smile and say, yeah, it's, you know, it's the beard balm I use. So It's Big Dobbs Beard Balm. Beard Balm. <laughs> beard <laughs> I give him a wink and the thumbs up. My, my beard gives him a thumbs up. It's pretty impressive. But And if you'd like to order some of Big Dobbs Beard Balm, go to BigDobbsBeardBalm.com. Yes, do that. And use a special code to get 20% off of your order. Sean, what's that code? It is P-X-L-P-A-R-A. What? P-X-L-P-A-R-A. little play on our pixelated paranormal name there. So, yeah, man, Alan was so gracious. He's he's giving us a code and uh, 20% off anybody who uses that to shop at his website. So that's pretty fantastic stuff. Typically, people give, you know, 10% off and stuff like that. Nope. Big Dobbs is throwing out 20% off, guys. So tell your friends, tell your friends' as parents, and tell your parents' as friends. Good, good stuff. And, uh, I got some beard soap, and it smells pretty good, too. Just a couple days a week, you just kind of lather it up and clean out the I goop. may use that code and buy my own beard soap. <laughs> Might as well. Yeah. It's it's cool, man. Like, I, I got to admit, you know, you get stuff build up in your beard, and after working out, you kind of get some gunk in there. I like the soap, too, man. Soap's fantastic. little lather, scrub it in there, get all the gunk, you know, kind of cleaned out, and lather that puppy back up with some more balm. And you know what? One more party note. It doesn't leave your beard all greasy and nasty. I've had some balms where you touch it. And it's just like, ew. I just feel like you're dripping with yeah. like vegetable oil or, you know, something like that. No. Well, as long as you don't put it on as thick as I do, I've been trying to learn how to use beard <laughs> balm. Look, it's a new beard, y'all. It's not exactly the easiest thing for me to deal with. Dude, when I first when I first started taking care of mine and I started using beard oil, I would lather that puppy up and it just looked damp. <laughs> you want just a little bit of a glisten, man. Not not a too dab much. dab will do it. Yeah, just a dab. A dab will do it. You'll learn, Rob. You give it time, young Padawan. I feel like when I get half my face done with the little bit I have on my fingers, it's like, oh, I need another half of another dob to get on the other side of my face. I I imagine Rob putting it on and (laughs) your mom's like, Rob, what are you doing? And it's that scene from Mrs. Doubtfire. (laughs) Your face is just covered in Crisco. (laughs) Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, hearty thanks to Big Dobbs, man. Your, Your product's fantastic and we love it, so check that out for sure and what do you guys got for a podcasts that we want to plug well before we get to podcasts oh dear god I'd like to point out yeah we got a new review Ooh. on itunes exciting stuff submitted by yinder Pooh. <laughs> it's the guy's name spelled backwards so i'll let you figure that one out it's titled it's great 
The rating says it is. This has become one of my favorite podcasts. It's full of bizarre, unusual events, and strange stories. It's just a lot of fun. So if you're interested in tales of the paranormal, alien encounters, or Bigfoot, this podcast is for you. So thank you, Yender Poo, for the five-star review. I don't know what Yender Poo is backwards. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> oh, okay, I know what it is. I see what it is. Awesome. <laughs> it's kind of backwards and mixed up a little bit. Yeah, well, I was going to say. Clever. Clever there, HP. HP Lovecraft. You, sir. Yeah. yeah, thanks for the review. That makes 10. 10 reviews, folks. And I just want to throw this out real quick, too. Guys, for just three idiots who don't really know much about anything, we have 72 likes and 71 followers on Facebook. Yeah. That ain't too bad. We're making our way Way across the U.S. too. It's not just, you know, Wichita and Kentucky anymore. We're getting people. We're international guys. I just want to let you know how big we are. We have listeners all the way in New Zealand. I'm kind of a big deal. Tell your friends if you wouldn't mind. And especially your Kiwi friends. Cool, cool. Well, let's let's spread the love. What other podcasts do we like, guys? Oh, indeed. As always, check out our uh, brother podcast from Big Steve and Brady. Um we always try to do joint uh, roundtable panels with the boys, and uh, it's always a blast. So show them some support, download a couple episodes, give them a listen. You won't be disappointed. Roberto? Oh, where do I even begin? There's Pixelated Sausage Cast with Mark. Mm-hmm. Just Mark. Too much Mark, if you ask me. But uh, that's Mark. Um, then there's the Pixelated, goddamn, Pixelated Radio Podcast with me, Hey, Mark. you're on that one. Corey and Rich. And if you can't get enough of Rich, he also has his own podcast, Sports Car Unleashed, where they talk about sports cars. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much the local stuff, really, as of right now. So um, I have one more fleeting plea. If people could do me a huge favor, jump on Facebook if you're local, if you live in Wichita. Hell, if you don't live in Wichita, please support us. Check out Wichita Big Screen. I believe it's in all capital letters. And right now, the uh, the background photo says this October, horror is coming to Wichita. This is a really big plea for me and especially everybody else on the Wichita big screen. Read through the different posts on there and please answer the posts and the polls they're doing. What this is basically is Wichita typically did a horror fest every year up to this point um, at the Old Town Warren. And they would show just a cornucopia of really awesome retro and old school 80s horror movies. Um, Reanimator, the Halloweens phantasm a lot of really great stuff so jump on there and do what you can to support that typically they're monday and tuesday nights i think the tail into september through october it's a beautiful thing i got to see uh return of the living dead on the big screen and that's a very important movie to me so check it out guys if you love horror please jump on wichita big screen go through there um there's also another chance that we have to do a triple feature terror fest at the drive-in uh, wichita starlight drive-in is willing to play ball potentially and uh, Starlight is saying they may do uh, two different things. They may do a scary show, which could be Evil Dead, Texas Chainsaw, and Phantasm all in one night. Or if you want to do a family-friendly show, Beetlejuice, the original Ghostbusters, and Gremlins. I would easily pay yeah. 20 bucks a carload to go see both shows. I'm going to drop two 20s. Uh, to see both of those, it'd be fantastic. But they do have a very important pull on there. So, guys, please check that out. Do what you can to support this. It's a big deal. We want Regal to realize that people want this and to keep it alive. It's a fantastic thing. So, 
there's my little rant and my plea. All right, guys. I think with that, we're going to bid you all adieu. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you all next time around. Yay! Yay! The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. You have two ways. One, email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we have that set up too. Dial us at 707-523-4263. Again, that's 707-523-4263. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Oh shit, I left my Xbox turn off. Man, I wish I could afford one of those sex robots. Whew. That's what I said. And he takes down the zipper and they're unleashed. And why they drink pee.